the Lord Jehovah, the God of our Lord Jesus, He has already spoken with me. And He has spoken with me about the glorious coming of the Messiah. And so, that is where my conversation with this land and the church and the pulpit is going to reside. I'm going to center on that as a center of him. Now, the second thing. If the Lord Jehovah, the God of heaven, has already spoken with me now about the glorious coming of the Messiah, then the next question becomes, what has the Lord said? Hallelujah. The Bible promised and continues to promise today that the Messiah will be back, will come back. However, when the Bible promised, when the Bible promises that the Messiah will come back, when I read the Bible, I see two comebacks, two comings back. One of them I see in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. That's what he says. He says, let me describe this now. He is coming with the clouds. And literally all people will see him, including those who pierced him. Meaning including the enemies of God. They will see Him coming. Then there is another one in Revelation 16, verse 15. And He says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his garment, his clothes with himself, with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Hallelujah. I say, the Bible promises that the Messiah would come back. But if you read the Bible, you find those two coming back. One of them, he says, all people, including the enemies of God that pierced him, will see him coming. And the other one says, behold, like a thief, Como ladron in Spanish. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his garment, his clothes with him, that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. This other coming is filthy. This other coming is secret. And the other one is for everybody to see. This secret one here, you find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 56. And you also find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Because there he gives the mechanism, the protocol, how it will happen. But 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 56 says, he talks about in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And yet, this one I've talked about, First Thessalonians says, First Thessalonians actually talks about the mechanism with which it will take place. Because it says, and the Lord himself, himself, meaning this time around, he will not send anybody owing to the gravity of the event. 
He says, and the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And he talks about the loud command, the trumpet, the voice of the archangel. And by the way, I have heard the trumpet of God. I know exactly how it will sound on that day. Oh yes, the reality is coming to the church. I think at one point the church needs to stop reading the Bible as fiction. The moment of truth has finally come to the church. He that stands before you has actually heard the voice of the archangel, has heard the command. I have heard the trumpet and I know exactly how it sounds. So the moment of truth is dawning to the church. One way or the other you are now going to prepare. But listen to this now. Which of the two have I come to talk about? The one when he comes, everybody will see him, even the enemies of God. And then the other one, he says, like a thief. Which of the two? I have come. I have come to the church to announce to her about the glorious coming of the Messiah. At the midnight hour, like a thief. I am talking about the coming of the Messiah at the midnight hour like a thief. And listen, precious people, I want to say this. The coming of the Messiah that I'm talking about at the midnight hour like a thief. If you look carefully, if you hear what is being said and you look at the church, sometimes you hear people call it the rapture of the church. Some people call it the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord. Others call it whatever. There are many ways in which it is called. However, if you go into the Bible, the scripture we are going to base on today, it will be a reference scripture. If you enter the Bible and look for it, you'll find it cataloged, recorded there, documented there as the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Sometimes they call it the day of rapture. But I say, if you got the Bible, he calls it the day of the wedding of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's why I want us now, step by step, to go into the scripture that actually celebrates the scripture that documents, describes and defines that day of the glorious wedding of the Holy Lamb of God. So turn with me, precious people, to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 verses 6 to verse 9. Only three verses. And this is what he says here. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns! He says, When that event was coming to crystallization, to realization, to actualization, he heard this. He heard millions upon millions upon millions. The grand multitude, the great multitude, like loud peals of thunder, like the roar of rushing waters. And they were all shouting in a major way, historic way. In other words, historic celebration. Never seen before in the kingdom of God. And when he listened carefully, he heard the words. 
they were actually saying, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Oh, that's very powerful. Meaning, when you look at the scripture that actually celebrates that documents that day I'm talking about here. The day I have come to announce the day of the coming of the Messiah at the midnight hour like a thief. That day of reckoning. That day of truth. The day of reality. The day of the rings. He's saying that when that day, the way the Bible describes the prophecy the Bible gives about that day, it gives you a lot of message about that day and how you can prepare. Why? Because he's saying that in the prophecy that has seen the day, sees on that day historic celebration. Number one. Historic jubilation. Number two. Historic felicitation. Number three. Historic, meaning never seen before. Meaning, if you and I were given a chance to ever look at the calendar of God the Father. The one and only that knows the day and the hour. That if you and I were ever allowed to look, you know, I don't know how that would happen, but to look at his calendar and see where he has marked that day. He's saying you and I would be shocked. You know the way you write the side notes, right? The side notes he has written against that day. Probably historic. Probably he has written triumphant, Victoria, victory. Maybe he has written celebration. Maybe jubilation. May, I don't know what he has written there. But in the manner of the prophecy that bespeaks it, that calls it into being, you see that there is no other day like that day. Hallelujah. There is so much celebration. There is so much reason to celebrate. And you understand why the entire heaven comes to a stop. That's what he's describing there. He says, when it comes to that day, it's like the entire heaven must come to a stop and begin to celebrate. But you and I definitely understand that that day deserves the historic celebration. Why? Because, let me take this example here, so you may understand them, what happens in heaven. Why? Let me take this example here. Look at this now. Christ the King, the darling of heaven, and in one vision, let me describe this now, in one vision, come and game, still the same conversation, but in one vision, May 17th, 2004, in one major conversation, the Lord spoke to me again about the coming of the Messiah. And this is what happened. In that vision, on the rightmost end of the sky, everything happened there. The voice, the word, the trumpet, everything happened that side. And after that, the cloud opened. On the right hand side, everything happened. The precursor events. The trumpet, the word, the voice, everything. And then, of course, the voice spoke. But he said, look, the Lord is about to appear in the sky. But listen to this now. Everything happened there. And then after that, the cloud opened. And when the cloud opened, the Lord stepped out of heaven in that vision. And he stood there. 
And on the right hand side, he came out. And when he came out, I have some news for you. I have some news for you. I saw the red chash that runs from his shoulder down. Red. Now he has red shirts. Number two, I saw the tremendous crown that he beheld on the head. And then I'm looking at him over there. Then he takes his nail-pierced hand. The first thing, first thing when he stepped out and he was sure I'm looking at him. The first thing, look at what he did. Took the nail-pierced hand and did this. The first thing he did. And that thing has eaten into me quite a bit. Because I wondered, what was he saying? Could it be that he was saying, look what I did for you? Could it be that he was saying, look, up here in heaven, this is the only thing that is man-made. Could it be that he was saying, look, try, please try, because... Up here, this is what men are known for. Please try, try, just try and make it. Don't ashamed me. Because in some scriptures, Zechariah, you hear a conversation there. There is a conversation in Zechariah. They ask him, where did you get these wounds from? And he says, uh, these wounds, actually, um, I visited the house of my friend. Because he left his friends down there. The disciples. I visited my friend's house and uh, I incurred these wounds there. The first thing was this. Could it be that he was saying, look, it traumatized me so much I can never forget. And hence, could it be he was saying, go tell them, how can you forget this? Look, I have not forgotten. I am still traumatized. Could it be that he was saying, Look, look here, look, look at the scars. When I look at the church, I weep. Listen, I weep. But tell them, look, look, tell them about this. Tell them, even if I would have wanted to go and die for her for a second time, look, I cannot go. Now I have defect. Could it be that's what he was saying? Could it be that he was saying that when he looks at the church, he hears one thing. He hears as if the church is crying out for a second deliverance. As if the church is saying, Lord, Lord, look, the first Calvary is here. I am in the church. I am born again and I've taken the blood of the first Calvary. But look, I'm not yet delivered from sexual sin. Look, I'm not yet delivered from lies and false prophets. and false. We are still doing falsehood. No, 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 no. Lord, you must return him to the cross. The first Calvary is not enough. Could it be that that's what he's hearing? Oh, yes. We are going to discuss some serious truths here. We are going to unveil and unravel some serious issues here. Because if you read, if you read the book of Isaiah 52, verses 14 and 15, you see the bruising of the Lamb of God. He was bruised. And now, even if he wanted to die for the church because he loves us so much, say, go tell them, I love them so much, I would even do it again. 
But tell them I cannot because I cannot qualify. I cannot fulfill the perfect law of God regarding the perfect sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. I cannot qualify anymore. Look, I have scars now. Could it be that that's what the Lord was saying? And that's why I said, in that vision that I'm trying to use now, to emphasize to you the gravity of the day that is coming, and therein the preparation required, I said, I have some news for you. This is it. I was shocked. And by the way, it's not the first time he has shown me the nail pierced. Meaning, could it be saying that, look, I have now become synonymous with this suffering. It is now part of my identity. I have to show it to you. I have it. Now it has become part of my identity. And he says, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Could it be that's what he was saying? I said, no. If you know what I know, you cannot fall as a pastor. If you know what I know, you will. No, actually, you will not fall. You will not accept it. You will not, you will not agree. You will not accept it. You'll do everything to block it. And say, no, for the Lord alone I do this. And I'm saying, could it be that now, look, look, look. How come they have become so modern? But I still have, look, I still have. You know, his nature, he only shows to his prophets. Could it be that he was saying, look, look, look. These are the only scars that fail to heal until today. Excuse me. And you still want to fall? Will you ever understand the price he paid? Excuse me. We may never understand in this lifetime and in the other lifetime the amount of agony and pain the Messiah went through. Oh yes, you cannot fall. You cannot even subscribe to the nonsense of those false apostles and false prophets. You cannot. You cannot when you know this. You will say to yourself, enough is enough. I draw the line here. Because there is a price paid we have not understood. But what I wanted to bring to your attention is this on the celebration. Is the fact that, look, when he did that, after showing me the nail pierced hand, the next thing he did, he took the hand and prepared the crown like this. On the right hand side of the sky. So again, there is some news there, which means the Lord is saying, go tell them, I may have come in a meek way, in a poor way, sweated, covered, swathed by some old rugs in the Bethlehem manger, and abused by men as they wanted, even killed. But this time around when I come, I am not coming to walk through the streets of Jerusalem again in the byways and preach the gospel. This time tell them, I have a crown. This time around, I have a crown. Even if I wanted to come and preach it to them, no, but now I have a crown. And that's why the Bible, in the scripture we are going to read that describes the events, the protocol. Now it will happen. He says, and the Lord himself will come down with a loud command, with a trumpet of God, with a call. He describes a pomp. He describes explosive coming.
is vulnerable to abuse anymore. When you hear the description of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16, 17 that describes it, you see a victorious coming of a king. A king. With a crown this time. Oh! And you are thinking, Jesus is coming just like that again. Eh? It's okay, you know, he loves us. You're just doing that. No! No, no! The gospel has already been preached. And those who were meant to enter have already prepared. No, but Lord, send me down there, please, to tell them. Say, don't worry. I am my prophet there now. Don't worry. Nobody can tell them better. With signs and wonders and miracles and power. He's there. Don't worry. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You cannot fall. You cannot even take your salvation like that for granted and play with it. Never, if you know this. You will know quickly that, hey, now I understand that actually my salvation hinges, is anchored onto the joy unspeakable. The celebration unspeakable. Felicitation, jubilation. Meaning, if I don't do it right, I fail them, there will be tristeza, sadness there. It will be there. There will be sadness if I don't do it right. Oh yes, that is the message coming through here. Now, he took the hand and he prepared the crown. And then what shocked me, he began to walk from the right and most corner across the sky as I watched. So you can imagine how tremendous. He began to walk across the sky. But what shocked me was this. As he walked across the sky, even here now in the middle, going like this, towards the left-hand side, my left-hand side as I faced there. Look at this now. What shocked me most was this. As he walked through like that, I could see where he has come from. And I saw that every single place his foot has stepped has remained a footprint of glory, 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 glory across the sky as he walked. Even where he has stepped, you saw. You saw every place, every place. And then I was shocked. I said, wow, could it be? Could it be that the Messiah, could it be that the reason there is such a tremendous celebration historic when that day arrives is because the Messiah, the King of glory, of all glory, the one exalted above the higher heavens, above, the King of all glory, could it be that the reason such a tremendous celebration consumes heaven on the day when the church enters, could it be that that is because the King of all glory brought his glorious feet on our dusty roads? The price on our muddy, muddy roads. Ah, I understood better. I understood the cost and the price of salvation. And then he walked until the end. And when he reached the end, he turned and faced me. And he took the other hand now. And then he showed me again like this. And then with that hand, he held the crown again. But now, you see, that's a very powerful place now. 
that place now, I was looking at him now, because he has done this up to there now, I was looking at him, and they, it, they, I don't know, some nice feeling. I was like, this is a good presence. I liked this in that vision. And then look at what happened. I don't know why, in my heart, I felt like I said, Lord, take me with you. I felt I said like that. But look at this now. This end, looking at me. Then he looked down. And he turned. And he went and the cloud covered him. And I remember in that vision, I wanted to cry. And I felt as though he was telling me, your time is not yet. So listen to me, precious people. The church has entered this realm. This is a serious realm. You're used to false prophets coming here to rob a lot of money from you and fool around with you and soothe your sin. Paint it white, huh? Whitewash it. No, 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 no. The church has entered this realm. And this is a serious realm. Listen to this. I understood the following. I understood that the price paid at Calvary, the price paid in his coming to deliver the church, was so humongous we may never understand. Number one. I'm explaining to you verse 6 why the historic celebration. And I understood another thing. I also understood that, wow, so if the price was so high, so high unspeakable, for him to come and deliver us. Now look at this now. Then, when you look at the church today, then you understand the following. You understand that actually, deliverance is not yet completed. <laughs> Again, let me repeat that you may not think I've made a mistake. Let me repeat this. Then you understand that deliverance is not yet over, not yet completed. Until they pay the fruit of the cross, the holy bride enters. Meaning, what is the point saying, I am born again. Do you have the blood? Oh, I am covered by the blood. Are you born? I am born. Are you spirit filled? Wow, I am spirit filled. And then on that day, you miss to enter. Did you understand the whole thing? He's saying that the day when the bride of Christ finally enters into the glorious kingdom of God, then for the first time, heaven will see the fruit of the cross, the reward, the recompense, the payment for what Jesus did on the cross. They say, oh, now we can see what he did on the cross. They are finally entered. If they don't enter, wow, what a shame, because the devil will ask, he will laugh twice. He laughed when he was on the cross. Tortured, abused, defiled. But the devil will laugh twice. Because now, you say, wow, then what was the cross for? Because these people were born again, they have not entered. Oh, did you understand me well? That's why I come. That's why I come to speak with you. That's why he sends me here. And so, I'm saying, when you look at the scripture that actually describes, defines that day, the glorious day of the wedding of the precious Lamb of God, the darling of heaven, who was missing for many years in heaven, that seat was empty, 
when he was down here. Huh? Until he came back. When you look at the scripture that describes it, the first thing you see is a historic celebration that is commensurate, that befits long time awaited. Long time awaited. When you hear and you see the level of celebration, you understand the following. It tells you that that day is of extreme gravity to the kingdom of God. There is no other like that day. And hence the question to the church. If you are the bride of Christ, if you are the one for whom that day is prepared, does that day also resonate gravity to you? Does that day bring to you the fear of the need to really prepare like never before, like no other day? When you look at the church of Christ today, then you know that that day does not even make a difference to her. In fact, it's not important. So you see, the first thing you see is historic celebration. And then you hear, you hear them say, Hallelujah, for surely the Lord God Almighty reigns. It's as though that is the day that ratifies, that affirms, that confirms, that approves, that stamps, that surely Jehovah, He reigns. Why? Why? He's speaking as though that is the day that when it arrives, wow, now we know he really reigns. That's the way he's speaking about it there. But why? Because when you look at the condition of the church today, it is as though the devil has won the game. It is as though the Lord does not reign anymore. Yeah, that is true. That is what you see in the church. With all the scandals and all the everything you see happening in the church. And the falsehood. And the false gospel that is being preached. They have been lied to. But why have they bought into this lie? Huh? Why haven't they used the Bible and just reject this? Reject this nonsense. It is as though they have settled to that. You ask them, say, no. All churches are like that. So where will I go? But all churches are like that. Never ever has the devil sent anybody to rebuke the church that is in deep sin, deep-seated sin, to tell her to repent in Christ Jesus and return to holiness and prepare the way. Never ever has the devil sent. Never ever will he send to stand in an open sunny day and say, listen to me, heaven. Listen to me, the nations of the earth. And command heaven in less than one minute rain. Why? Only around the stadium. No. Nobody can do that. Except God is walking very, very tight, very close with him. The power. But what I'm saying is this. I'm saying that if you look at the level of celebration, it tells you, because they are saying, now we know he really reigns. It tells you that there was a sense of defeat at one point. It was as though the devil has reigned through. He has now succeeded. Which is true when you look at the condition of the church. Why would women come to the church exposing their legs here? Because obviously you know it will create lust. And because you don't want the devil to use you, you want only to please the Lord, you would not do that, except let it be that it is already an established practice. Which means, 
the church is now numb, numb to sin. She's now numb to sin. Now it's okay. Now you can worship here, and then you can be in sexual sin with one another. The pastor hears about it, he cannot rebuke it. Why? Because he fears you lose the offering. Oh, yes. Yes. They look at the basket. That is corruption. I come to rebuke it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I come to rebuke it. Now he's happy. He's telling you a story about his son who is controlling the remote control in the house. Who is going to the fridge first. He's telling you stories now. He's now happy. He's kicking. Huh? No. So, you see a celebration that is commensurate with the fact that at one point it seemed as if the devil had won. And that is true. And I go world over. All over the earth, the condition is bad. You wonder. Because sometimes you wonder, what Bible are these people reading? Because my Bible says that the Lord is holy. And my Bible says that the salvation of the cross is holy salvation. That's what my Bible says. My Bible tells me that the Lord rebukes sin. And when you rebuke sin, then they get to know that this thing I'm doing is sin. So let me stop it. The sheep are always faithful and obedient. That I've also found out. You show them they do it. Oh yes. Every person has the capacity to first of all recognize sin. And then reject it. Or recognize the truth. And also the capacity to receive it. That's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying that finally when the church of Christ, the bride, enters heaven. Then a big celebration consumes heaven because, wow, finally our God has won. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 56 that I talked about. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 56. The scripture that talks about the rapture. Look at what he says. He says, at one point, when now the bride is taken, look at what he says. He begins to mock death. He says, death, where is your sting anymore? And we know that the wages of sin is what? Death. Meaning, that is the day when the church, the bride of Christ, will have defeated sin. Cannot touch her again, eternally. Meaning, finally, we have brought the gains of the cross. The gains made at the cross, we have now brought in. And nobody can touch now. Because where she is now, she's being touched and defiled. Do you understand the celebration? Historic. Because finally now, on that day, nobody can touch the bride again. If you look at the Jewish wedding, that is the moment. That is the moment when now, you see normally he takes the bride at that hour. They surround him. They surround him. That time they are dancing. They are dancing. Dancing, dancing. That's the moment now they're dancing around him. That's the moment he takes his bride. He holds her now very tight. And then he jumps up and crushes the glass. There's a glass wrapped. He jumps up and crushes it. And from that point on you see him walking away with his bride. Hallelujah. He's saying, finally, death has been crushed. Finally, sin has been defeated. 
And that is the day now no sin can touch the bride. Oh yes. Now she has entered. Now stay here. Nobody can touch you again. Yes. Because sin has claimed so much right over the church. So much. So much. Really so much. If you look at the pulpit, it is unbelievable. Until you have homosexuality at the pulpit. <laughs> it is bad. Oh yes. Until you have pastors who are just taking another wife from the worship team, from the congregation. And his wife is crying. It is bad. That time the pastor is charging like a horse. He's saying, no, don't worry. She's just a worship leader. I mean, I know what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong. Oh, yes. And it's not only that, but also the top evangelists, the ones we call top, and I see before. Be careful, the Lord may speak to somebody about you. And you're appearing in public every day. And yet on this side, he's speaking to somebody about you. So when you see things like that happen, then you know that the church is sitting at a bad place. Then you begin to perceive the treasure of this message. I'm saying those who belong to the kingdom of God. And he's saying that with that happening, it was as though the devil has taken full charge. And that's why when the day comes, the day of victory, then you see the victory of the cross. That means don't take your salvation for granted. It is important for the events of that day. Your salvation is not just a usual thing, a group thing. No, 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 no. You just prepare well because it is hinged. It's connected to the celebration historic in heaven on that day. That the Messiah may have a smile on that day. That when he looks at his scars, he says, wow, really, really they abused me. But I see the fruit. However, when you move now to verse 7, then you understand the real reason why there will be historic celebration. Verse 7, Revelation 19, he says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Verse 7 now is the message I have brought to the church. When you thought the other one was the message, now I have brought the message. Verse 7, the reason I'm standing here. He says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Meaning, all this historic celebration that you were seeing, animating and throbbing in heaven was actually having an underlying factor, undercurrent. There was a reason beneath why they were celebrating historic. Why? Because this long-awaited day has finally come. But when it has finally come, look, when heaven looked at the church, wow, she was ready. But he's saying, look at what he's saying. He's saying that the reason they celebrate is first of all because the long-awaited day has finally come. But key to that is that when it has finally come, when God in heaven looks at the bride, the church, wow, this is a miracle. She is even ready. That is amazing. Which means you can understand why I'm here. 
I have come to announce to the churches in the nation that the hour to get ready is now. It is not tomorrow. It is now. For me, I know. I know. Because the prophecies have been given towards the countdown have happened. The bloodshed in the Arab world, global economic crisis, what, what, everything that I've been speaking like that, like that, like that, have happened. For me, I know. So the question is this. Is the church ready? The answer is a definite no. Where little kids are becoming pregnant in church? Under age. She's in a hot pursuit for postmodernism. Her head is charged for battle. She's heading her head like a horse charging for battle. She can't hear no nothing anymore. And the Lord is saying, just a moment, can you stop for a moment we talk? Where are you headed to? The way to the kingdom is this way. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that this message of the two golden, glorious, most powerful, mighty wedding rings hanging in the sky at the entrance to heaven is a message on preparedness. It's a message of preparedness. Yes, he's telling the church, please prepare. He said, look, look, I beg you, I beg you, prepare. I beg you, I beg you, I weep, please, I weep for you, just prepare, help me, say, help me and prepare, help me by preparing. Why? Because when that day happens, I have come here, sent of the Lord, to essentially announce that that entrance is open, we are living under the open heaven, and also to make a second announcement that when that day arrives, the Lord will simply close so if you listen carefully in the spirit, those who are walking in the spirit, you hear me announcing that the door is about to shut. That is the message that is going on here. But I'm saying, the horse, the haste, the panic, he made me panic, wait, he's about to be released. That's about time. He, he made me realize time, 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 time. Tell them time. But what I'm saying is this. Preparedness. He's saying, because the bride, when they checked, she was ready. But how does heaven know that the bride is ready? Does she walk around with an ID she flashes? Are you ready? So, yes, he pull an ID and flash it. Does she walk with a t-shirt written behind, ready? How? Verse 8 now talks about the readiness. Verse 8, he says, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then he says, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Again, he's saying in verse 8, that fine linen, bright and clean, in Spanish, lino fino, Portuguese, lino finissimo, is a better way to put it. Because he's saying, the finest linen ever achievable in this lifetime. And he's saying, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. But that linen was given to us in Isaiah 53 on the cross. For free. For free. When you receive Jesus, you get it gratis. For free. For free you get that linen. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. You see the price of purchasing it and giving it to you for free. And then he says, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then he says, fine linen stands for the righteousness of the saints. Righteous acts of the saints. The Lord is essentially saying that he has brought me to announce the following. 
to announce that number one, the Messiah is coming. Number two, that this is the hour of preparedness. Preparation, preparedness. To make sure you are prepared. Why? Because he said, I am also essentially announcing that the door is about to shut. But let's move on fast. Let's move on further. He's saying, I am also essentially announcing that, look, this is the dispensation of the fine linen. Or you can say, fine garment. And he's saying that you are the generation of the garment. He's saying, you are the generation that the prophets of old, when they saw the coming of the Messiah, they wept They said, wow, how I wish I could live to see that generation. The generation that prepares to receive the Messiah. Oh yes, they cried. I wish I could see. How I wish I could live to see them. Wow, the generation that receives the announcement and begins to prepare in earnest. I'm talking about a physical people on the earth, walking on the earth, hearing the announcement and begin to prepare here in the physical and spiritual. And then essentially receive the glorious Messiah. Now look at this now. He's saying, I can see you are so modern today. So modern that you have incorporated, you have accepted, you've tolerated sin and modernism of sin. In your salvation. Now everything goes for the modernity. I see you are so modern. You don't even care. There's no fear of the Lord in your hearts anymore. You just come you say, Pastor, how are you? Huh? Pastor, can you bless me please? And the pastor himself, when you see the way he's preaching, he's pocketing here. You know, if you study language, body language, those of you who can study criminology or just psychology, body language, if you study body language, pocketing means familiar with, I'm used to you, we are same level. Yeah, same level. Just pocketing, say, ah, uh, no fear of the Lord anymore. And yet the Lord is saying, He's saying the following, How come you cannot remember that the Bible promises that the latter anointing will be greater than Pentecost? He's saying like that. Yes. He's saying, how come you can't see that the Bible promises that the latter glory would have greater power than the original, the first glory, Pentecost? How come? He's asking. And he's asking, how come you can't see that the Bible promises that because of that greater latter anointing, the latter church would walk with greater authority? Than the first church. Greater holiness than the first church. Greater righteousness than the first church. How come? Because he flashed back. He flashed us back. He said, please remember. Meaning, how come you cannot see that the primitive church, the first church, every day when they walked, they walked Christ Jesus crucified and resurrected. When they sat to testify, they testified Christ the Messiah crucified, resurrected. 
When they start to eat, they ate Christ Jesus crucified, resurrected. When they preached, they preached the gospel of Christ Jesus crucified, resurrected. They were Christ-centered on the cross. On the cross. How come you cannot find that original salvation today? He's saying the following. He's saying that even when they testified, Paul, Paul comes from Thessaloniki. And he comes to a meeting like this in Caesarea and Philippi. He finds there was a prophet sitting there. Paul walks in and then the prophet stands up and begins to tie him up. And when the prophet of the Lord begins to tie him and they ask him, Jerusalem, are you still going? And Paul laughs. He laughed at him. He said, no. But I saw the same dream before I left Thessaloniki. And I know that if I go, they will arrest me. It's okay. If they kill me, let them kill me. But I am going. Jerusalem, I am still going. Meaning, Paul and the prophet were both listening to the same voice. Is that what you see in the church today? Somebody will come here, sophisticated, will start telling about seed, financial wealth, transfer from the world, and everything else. Oh yes, they will say it here. And they say, if you give me a seed, a meaningful seed, you know, something meaningful, I'll put your name inside my private aircraft. They say it. Oh yes, it is happening in the church. And then you wonder, Listen to two voices. One of them is saying, prepare the Messiah is coming. It's time for repentance and righteousness and holiness to be restored at the pulpit to stop the scandals of the pastors. And then the other one comes and says, prepare for wealth. Begins to prepare you to live better on the earth. There is a problem. He's saying, that day of the wedding is for a church that will have that original, old, Calvary, rugged cross kind of salvation. That old type. The type of salvation that is actually centered on the cross and the blood. And when they begin to sing, they sing about the cross. But today, you sing prosperity. Oh yes. I have come to a modern country to bring the old, rugged cross salvation. I have come to take the country back to the cross. That is where the hope for the church is. Oh yes. Because modern and modern gospel. And then today you have liberal theology. That says no, you see, uh, you know everything goes. They teach everything liberal. How do you feel if somebody said that blacks cannot be pastors? Would you be happy? So then stop saying that homosexuals cannot be passed. The, the kind of reasoning, the kind of equation, hmm? the kind of reasoning, it breaks you down and say, oh, but when did you start reasoning like that? He's saying, he's longing for the original church. The church where the cross crucified their flesh. And when they walked they testified. Even on the way to Emmaus. Those really raw days. I call them raw. Still raw. I mean, that just happened. Even on the way to Emmaus. They were still talking. 
Did you hear? Did you hear how he was killed? They were talking about the cross. And he walked. He walked. He came to inspect, to supervise. And he found that they were talking about it. And he walked with them. He asked them, what are you talking about? They said, are you a guest here? We thought you would be the king that restores Israel. Have you seen the way he has been killed? He said, oh, he was killed. He walked with them. He found they were preoccupied, consumed with it. But today, you teach the old cross, the church walks away. The young people say, no, I don't want, we want to go to modern church where there is disco. I have come to tell you that that disco is sin. Yes. And I've come to tell you that the dating, dating, dating that goes on in the youth church today is sin. Yes. So he's saying that, look, when you compare today's church and the original church, the primitive church, this is what he's saying. He's saying that there is a relay going on, a relay, race, relay. And the first church, Peter and the rest, even to the point of death, when they died, they still died. Christ Jesus crucified, resurrected. They died for it. And when they finished the beautiful race, they did this. They passed the baton on to this church. And he's saying, what have you done on your segment? What did you do on your segment? You slid. You slid and fell. He said, look, but the finishing line has been drawn. Because he's saying that if you don't finish, you spoil for everybody else. Oh yes. So he's asking. He's saying, I long for that church, the primitive church. But when you compare today's church that is supposed to be most anointed, with the primitive church, you find that today's church is much, 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 much lower than the first church. And yet, she's supposed to be much more loftier, higher, exalted in power, authority, anointing, miracles, righteousness, holiness. You find today's church has no fear of God. Yeah, the young men come with sagging trousers. They put earring here. Oh yes. And we have not rebuked our sons. Our daughters have come with tight skirts here to show their anatomy. We have not rebuked them. We have not told them, no, 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 no. Don't bring sexual lust in this house. You are in the house of the Lord. We have not rebuked that. There is a problem. Do you understand what the Lord was saying here? He's saying, that there is the original salvation, the uncompromised salvation, the salvation that is centered on the cross and the blood of Jesus. That when she preaches, she preaches the salvation of the cross and the blood. And he's saying, therein is deliverance. Thank you, precious people. I want to end here. And ask that if there is anybody that feels he has been touched. And that he would like to return to the Lord. To be ready for that rapture. Repeat this prayer with me. Say precious Jesus. I surrender my life to you. Right now. And repent of all sin. 
and recognize the powerful work that Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. And I ask you, Lord, to wash me with the powerful blood of Jesus and set me free from sin. I receive you, Jesus, into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Please establish holiness in my salvation. And let righteousness be the hallmark, the standard, the indicator of my salvation. That I may see the glorious kingdom of God. Eternity of peace with God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I am born again.